0: In in Sochen, which is one of the uh, streams of Buddhism, um, uh, Tulku Organ Rinpoche, who was considered fully awakened, enlightened, no obstacles, who was the father of Sony Rinpoche, which some of us, I myself included, have studied with. Um, and he talked about how our minds are like a, the sun in the sky when there aren't any clouds that there's this, the light of the sun and its brilliance just shines throughout the whole sky and pervades into space which our sun does and that when clouds come along they block the sun, but it doesn't mean the sun isn't there. (coughs) And uh, maybe you think I sound like a broken record when I keep going back to that acknowledgement of our capacity, every single one of us to awaken, because when great teachers like Toku, Oregon Rinpoche, and then some of you have already heard of Deepama, another fully awakened Arahat. When they both say the same thing, that living inside of us is this brilliant, magnificent sun, and that it's never not there. And that the um, that what's happened what's true for us in, as students of the Dharma is that they're clouds. They're clouds in the sky that obscure some of that brilliance. Sometimes it feels like a lot of that brilliance. And that there's always light, even in a sky laden, heavy with clouds the day there's always light. And sometimes, even more than that, sometimes when we look in the sky there are those incredible beams of light that feel magical, you know, that come in through the clouds. And those beams are the equivalent of our beautiful qualities. That the expression of an enlightened mind is the expression of all the beautiful qualities and traditionally the expression of the paramis but there's so much more so generosity morality ethical ethical behavior keeping to the precepts renunciation wisdom and a uh, Determination, diligence is one. Determination, diligence is one. Um, wait a minute. Patience, uh, patience truthfulness, and uh, determination, commitment, loving kindness, and equanimity. But the Buddha talks also about a lot of other energies as well. Humility, for example. Or a lack of conceit, and we know appreciation and gratitude, Uh, we could just say any faith, any of the beautiful qualities, and that includes the Eightfold Path, that are energies that have been expressed and lived through every single one of us in this room that when it seems like, oh, someone said to me, I can't really relate to enlightenment. But really it's, you don't have to like relate to it because it's there already expressing itself in these beautiful energies. And the culture that we live in, you know, um, doesn't really honour that that much, and so we aren't used to turning towards our beautiful energies and acknowledging them just in our daily lives. I mean, I think some of us are getting better and better. For example, acknowledging to our honeys or to our friends or other people, just thank you. You know what? Thank you to the cashier that moment of gratitude to the cashier and and that, that capacity that's inside of us, all of us, that has moments when there's gratitude or just feeling grateful when we are receiving food or the, how you might feel being grateful that you're here hearing the Dharma or that you, some of you have talked about how you are clean and sober. Like, wow, what a beautiful quality. You know, so there are these energies living inside of us, they're there already, and we can strengthen them So that we get a taste more and more of how they take us back to the root of that beautiful expression that Dr. Trimmer says that I quote every retreat, Mm -hmm. right? You are a miracle of creation. You're a miracle of creation. Kneel down to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's another way of saying, you are a miracle because each of us has the sun and you, and you, and you, have the sun living inside of you that is already expressing this miracle of creation. So there is a particular practice, and we actually did it last night, there's a particular practice called the practice of recollecting joy that comes from the Vasudi Marga, and some of you have heard this talk a number of times, that is specifically around turning towards these particular energies and focusing on them and appreciating them and acknowledging them as a practice both to remind us that we're miracles of creation and that it also, this practice also cultivates joy. There are um, there are eleven traditional practices but where I'm not going to spend time on all of them but I'd like to I'd like to name them and the first is wise attention which we've been practicing a lot and the second is remembering the virtues of the Buddha and the third is rejoicing in the Dharma and the fourth is rejoicing in the virtues of the Sangha And the fifth is considering your own virtue. And the sixth is remembering your own generosity. And the seventh is considering the virtue of the gods. In the Buddhist cosmology, there are all these different realms which um, uh, beings are born into through the practice of concentration and jhana. And um, and wisdom and the higher the higher uh, realm of the gods, are, the Buddha says what religions relate to as God. Reflecting on perfect peace as the eighth, ninth is avoiding persons overwhelmed with anger. The, <laughs> the tenth is. Reflecting on the suttas and the teachings, and the eleventh is inclining your mind towards joy. Mm. Can you put that up Sorry, can you put that on the bulletin board or something? The uh, list? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, I'm not going to say a lot about wise attention because we've we've been exploring that a fair amount together already. Um, And to acknowledge how any moment that we connect with our experience, with presence, that something changes. And it just does always feel kind of like a miracle to me. Like I can come out of the wonderful times that I share with you in group interviews and I can walk into my room and like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. And then I can lie down and do some movements and just bring my mind to those movements, like my head going... From side to side, and through that touch of presence with the sensations, after a while, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, here I am again." You know that that the power of mindfulness is so um, worthy and deserving of reflection and appreciation, and so to to take. Intelligently as your practice this appreciation of the moments of your mindfulness. Like after every practice to turn towards it and to acknowledge and appreciate those moments when there has been that connection with your experience just that the experience and the knowing of it. So, uh, so just to say that, and then uh, just to say, um, uh, in terms of the transition from homelessness as a psychological experience to home, when my parents got out of jail, you're hearing the whole sequence of this part of my life, um, they got a tip-off, they were going to be rearrested and they went into hiding. And it was clear they had to make a choice between either being parents or continuing the struggle. Because they couldn't see us because we had the secret police parked right outside our driveway, outside the house. So we didn't, so we That's couldn't... secret. Yeah, right. They weren't so secret, but they were called the sequel people so my parents dis- my parents made the choice then to give up citizenship and the uh, and our passports in return for an exit permit which would would allow us to legally leave the country so we left the country stateless refugees and we ha- we had to leave very very quickly so it wasn't like oh, I wonder if we should leave and go, you know, go live in another country. It was like we're going, and we left without anything. And we arrived in Israel because Israel was the only country that would let us in automatically as Jews with our passports. And um, so like many hundreds of thousands of refugees in in, Israel, in the world, we we were part of that experience, and there was such a a feeling of of that dislocation of where am I? What's happening? As a young kid, I was um, twelve, so not that young, but young, and I remember a st- um, hanging out at a beach at Eilat. And there was this water, and um, some old ruins, and a sunset. And something opened inside of me, and now, in retrospect, I can say I was mindful. That I was just present for the sunset. And in that mindfulness, in that just being present for the sunset, there was some place where I found myself again, in all those changes. And that's what the Buddha was talking about in his introduction to the Satipatthana Sutta, when he said, this is the path and the way. So I know you all know this already. And so then remembering the virtues of the Buddha, I love to read this to you because it gives me so much joy when I think of some of the people in power in this country and um, how lacking in virtue they are. How beautiful it is to rest my mind on the virtue of awakened beings. And in some of my, since I've been a practitioner, in some of my more troubled, very troubled moments, I can't tell you how supportive it has been for me to rest my mind on the virtues of the Buddha and on the virtues of other beings who are awakened. To just rest the mind there in beings who have totally found and are living in a mind and a heart that aren't obstructed. So this is in the Vasudhi Marga there's like 24 pages of descriptions of the Buddha. I'm only going to read you a few paragraphs, but I I want to I want to name it particularly because some of us just recently have um, um been affected by Noah Levine and what's been happening against the stream, and then the head of the Shambhala tradition and and to, and to honor and venerate again the beauty and the gift of virtue. So, here's the Buddha's virtue. He is equal in virtue with other enlightened beings in knowledge and vision. He has abolished all 100,000 kinds of trouble, anxiety, and defilement described as greed, hatred, and delusion, as misdirected attention, as consciousnesslessness, as shamelessness, as anger, enmity, as contempt, domineering, as envy, avarice, deceit, fraud, obduracy, presumption, as pride, as haughtiness, as vanity, as negligence, as craving, ignorance, as the three roots of the unprofitable kinds of misconduct, as defilement, stains, fictitious perceptions, applied thoughts, meaning storylines, as as the um floods and bonds and bad ways of the five wildernesses or hindrances of the heart as the 108 ways of behavior of craving, that is to say all defilements of the aggregates and karmic formations. He has rejected all kinds of becoming. So he is fit to be relied on by everyone and those who follow his prescriptions and when we have relied on him we acquire relief from bodily and mental pain and then this one other paragraph and this is particularly around speech also such speech the buddha knows to be untrue and incorrect and conducive to harm and displeasing and unwelcome to others, he does not speak. And such speech he knows to be true and correct, but conducive to harm and displeasing and unwelcome to others, he does not speak. And I love that, because how many times I'm like, this is true, and I don't care if you don't want to hear it, but... (laughs) So I love that practice, it's so inspiring to me. Uh, And such speech he knows to be true and correct, conducive to good but displeasing and unwelcome to others, he knows the time to expound. And what he knows to be untrue and incorrect and conducive to harm, but pleasing and welcome to others, like our president, he does not speak. So, just the um, just the incredible beauty of uh, of a mind that is free, without any pushing, without any compulsion, out of that sense of I, but more. So tuned in always to what is supportive of my and your and our well-being. Just that. Just what is supportive to well-being. as, as Not even as an intention, but as an unobstructed expression of life. That's just so beautiful. So if the Buddha doesn't do it for you because, you know, he's a guy or because he's long ago and he looks very unrelatable sitting up there, solid and never moving and not smiling no matter how hard I practice, so, so, so then I thought I would, um, I would read you uh, um, something that... Um, uh, it's written about Deepama and it was um, this is what Sharda. Some of you might have sat with Sharda um, in um, as a, she teaches in Australia, New Zealand, and Spurrock. So she said, when Deepama Ma was about to leave Insight Meditation Society (IMS), a whole group of us, twenty or so, was standing near her holding our hands together at our hearts. For some reason, just before she got in the van, she turned to me and put her hands on my hands, looked me right in the eye remarkably close and held my hands in silence. She stared at me with utter love, utter emptiness and utter care. During this minute, she gave me complete, heartfelt transmission of loving-kindness. There was Shakti's spiritual energy just pouring from her. Then she turned around and slowly got into the car. In this one moment, she showed me a kind of love I had never experienced before. It was a rare kind of love without separation or differences. This was my first taste of what can happen in the presence of an enlightened being. That moment is just as powerful as if it happened yesterday. Knowing this love and seeing that it's possible to give it to others has been a real inspiration for me on my path. and Deepama is an example of how when the heart is not afraid, The love just pours through. So, rejoicing in the virtue of the Buddha and those who are enlightened, and then uh, rejoicing in the virtue of the Dharma. I've been contemplating a lot recently because of what's happening in the world, although actually I just read somewhere there's less violence in the world than there ever has been, so amazing that there were times when there was a lot more violence, So, um, so, but feeling perhaps like you, so impacted by what's going on. And I, I've reflected, and I don't have to reflect because it's living inside of me and it's been my history, my own unwholesome energies that got acted out, my own pain and trauma and how got acted out. And I've told you about cutting the hole in the blazer but I, I did something when I was much older that I feel so much remorse for. Um, I stole a lot growing up, and it wasn't because I needed what I was steep stealing. Although I did live on the streets for a while, um, but it was it was stealing out of some compulsion, and I went to a store, one of those um, stores that import things, you know, just import beautiful things from different countries, from Guatemala and Africa. There were all these beautiful things in the store. It was in a new part of San Diego. And um, this woman was the owner, and she, she had just opened the store. And there was something that uh, a beautiful hanging that I stole with uh, with my partner at the time, actually. And we stuffed it in our bag, and she came running out and said, I can't find this material. And we said, oh no, we don't have it. And I think of my mind, I don't think of it, I, I reflect on it, and... My, my mind that was clouded and didn't know. I just didn't know the unwholesomeness of what I was doing. And that might be really surprising to you because it might be to all of you that some of you didn't steal and that it was very obvious from when you were very young that stealing was... Um, uh, uh, was unethical but for me in my own wounding I didn't I didn't understand that and so I I was very unethical over many years in my life and there were a number of occasions when I feel just tremendous remorse for that and when I look when I explore it now I I like, bow, not bow down to, but somehow want to honor the way ignorance doesn't allow us to understand when something is harmful. That we just don't know it when we're in that not knowing, and. You know, and in that sense, I feel remorseful, but I can't even blame myself because I didn't know or shame myself. I, I feel that the, the, the grief of taking something that wasn't freely given to me and of, um, and of lying to someone And of the loss, the loss of that income for that new shop owner. And I say this because one of the recollections of um, bringing joy is the blessing of the Dharma. And until we know, we don't know. And when we don't know, out of that not knowing, we act in harmful ways. And so when I look at the world and I see so many harmful decisions being made, I'm like, yes. And I did too. And now I have the Dharma. And that capacity to know more what is harmful and what isn't. And then, can you feel, and can you feel the incredible blessing of having come to the Dharma because of just that? Because it gives us the capacity to discern what is harmful and what isn't. And that's the baseline. You know, when the Dalai Lama says, the whole of religion is to be kind, well, Unless you can tell what isn't, (laughs) you can't practice. And it wasn't that I wasn't kind in some of these places I was, but I was also very unkind in being unethical. And so when the Buddha says that the highest blessing that we can receive in our lives is the blessing of the Dharma. That's what he's pointing to, that capacity to know harm and refrain from acting it out. And he says, even if we don't refrain from acting it out, even if we just know it's harmful, that's better, because the knowing will grow over time and will help us to refrain from acting out. So in terms of cultivating joy to recollect that you have come across a practice that allows you to discern what is harmful and what isn't, to catch it when you're in that place of wanting to tell someone the truth, even though you know it's not the right time or the right place, Mm. because it will have harmful consequences. Just for example, but there are many more. So, so recollecting the blessings of the Dharma, and then um, uh, and then, and then, recollecting your virtue, recollecting where you have not stolen, where you have not taken life or harmed life, where you have not hurt someone through your speech but you've been kind or where you haven't hurt someone hurt, hurt someone in your sexual expression like recollecting all the times when you haven't done those things and that's like you could spend a long time doing that and the because you there have been many many times when you haven't hurt or broken the precept And it's important to turn towards that, because turning towards that gives us an accurate reflection of who we are. And so I want to read this to you, because it's like so, so true. I tell you I would have died but for the friendships. The doctors had just about given up. Forget it for having any will to live. I can't begin to describe the despair. Beyond the relentless physical pain, there was this utter emptiness of heart and soul. Each morning felt like waking up in hell. Can you understand that? Every morning feeling that way like it was the first time, and yet people came and called and cared and stayed, and each gesture came to feel almost miraculous to me, and there were moments when I would say, you just don't know what this means to me, and they didn't. They couldn't or wouldn't. Isn't that wild? they really didn't see it. They really didn't recognize just how much their ordinary expressions of love would do for me. On the one hand, I thought it was wonderful that they wouldn't make a big deal out of something that seemed so simple for them just showing up. But on the other hand, I wanted to shake them and say, do you know? how beautiful you are. Mm. Won't you see as if they were angels who had forgotten? Mm. It's called How Can I Help? And honestly, sometimes that's how I feel when I look at you to remind you of just how special your ordinary expressions of generosity and love and the ways that you show up. So um, there is a particular sutta where the Buddha says when you go out into the marketplace and into the world, it's important for you to come back and sit on your bed and to to recollect that where there was harm, where you saw or heard people lying, where you um, heard about unethical decisions being made, that you sit on your bed and you say, I am not making unethical decisions and I'm not lying. Because if we don't connect with that in an ongoing way, what happens becomes overwhelming. But when we are in touch with our own angel, living inside of us, that that resilience, that commitment to honesty, then we have this home that we come that we can come back to, in ways that mean we can stand in the environment that is unethical and not feel swayed and overwhelmed. And you know I you know who really is an incredible inspiration to me about this is Angela Davis. She has been so resilient in the face of the prison industrial complex in her cohort still in jail after all these years, 40, 40, 50, 60 years from the early Black Panther days and, and wrongly imprisoned and so much more. And she, And she says, this is a long journey and the changes aren't going to happen before I die but I know it's a journey we all have to make in fighting oppression, racism, and the, the, can't even say it's the justice system, the injustice system. And, And she is, and she's in her 70s now, and she's still lecturing and going to universities and talking about it and, 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 Never, she never says I'm overwhelmed, ever. And that's so beautiful because she's in touch with that part of her that gives her resilience, her own love and ethics. So taking time And when you feel like you cannot access meta, and you can't access appreciative joy, and there's nothing, you can sit here and say, I haven't picked up a gun and killed anyone today. Mm -hmm. I'm serious. Mm. That is like a big deal. It is. Or I haven't sneaked into anyone's room and stolen. And I didn't get in my car, if you have a car, and go down to the local liquor store out of desperation. I mean, can you see then, even when you think, oh my God, this is hopeless, you know there's no hope just how much beauty is living there in not making those decisions. So reflect on it. I have... There have been many days when I have said I have not picked up a gun, and then, um, um, then I want to uh, uh, I want to read this because it's so beautiful about um, failure and how failure becomes our dignity. This is um, from one of my favorite writers, Edward Dart, Galliana. Mm. In 1979, Darcy is in Paris. The Sorbonne confers the title of Dr. Honoris Causa on Darcy Ribeiro. He accepts, he says, on the merits of his failures. Darcy has failed as an anthropologist because the Indians of Brazil are still being annihilated. He has failed as rector of the university because the reality he wanted it to transform proved obdurate. He has failed as minister of education in a country where literacy never stops multiplying. And he has failed as a member of a government that tried and failed either to make agrarian reform or to control the cannibalistic habits of foreign capital. He has failed as a writer who dreamed of forbidding history to repeat itself. These are his failures and they are his dignities. Mm-hmm. Mm. Just to try. Mm-hmm. So then remembering your own generosity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked some of you, um, uh, and that's what inspired me to give this Dharma talk tonight to write. list of your beautiful qualities. Over the years I've asked many of you uh, to do that. And in many of them is generosity, which is to acknowledge how much generosity is living inside of us. The Buddha says over and over again to take some particular instances of your generosity and to recollect how you felt before you gave something, whether it was a kind word or it was a gift or whether it was just opening the door or standing aside so someone else could come into line. How you felt when you intended it, how you felt in the action and how you felt afterwards. He said it doesn't matter how small the gift is, or how big it is. The action of generosity and contemplating it becomes the grounds of loving kindness, being able to grow, and us beginning to connect with faith in our capacities to practice. Generosity is the very first practice of the Dharma, to see that in our generosity we are already on the path and practicing. So uh, I actually have talked about uh, when I was training with Ruth and um, wearing wearing her clothes because she said that I I was too wild to assist her and sit here and <laughs> ring the bell that I sh- I couldn't have, that I needed to look a, a little more frumpy frumpy <laughs> and so I wore her I wore her this middle-aged woman's <laughs> blouse and skirt and I even had a scarf around my head the ways yeah, that she no did. More. And um, I actually have a picture in my room if you come to my room in front of the Buddha in the altar where I'm wearing some of her clothes and Aww. it's just right there and looking and, and looking at her. And how much joy that the generosity, uh, her generosity of giving me clothes and my generosity in wearing them. <laughs> and how much joy it gave me. And then I went up the summer to a wedding. My sister's daughter, niece, was getting married. I took the one dress that I have that's like, a a smart piece of clothing and it turned out that there was a heat wave in Vancouver and I couldn't wear it and so my younger sister Jan gave me a red dress to wear that was like like going to a nightclub like tight and slinky and red (laughs) with flights all around it. <laughs> and it gave her so much joy to give it to me and to see it on me. So, just the small things that we do in our generosity that we get to contemplate. <laughs> I, 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 I just really want to offer that to you as a practice. But when you sit down here to take some time and contemplate your generosity and how it makes you feel. So, um, so I think I might, um, I think I might, uh, I might end there because um, it's it's getting a, a little, it's getting a little late. Um, but I would like to end with a, oh, no, 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 there's one, there's, it's just like common that I always do it, and then I'm like, oh, but I can't do that. Because I really, I really am <laughs> in, you know, in honoring, in honoring people who inspire us, I wanted to honor Leslie Feinberg, because she, she really created a path for so many of us. And um, and I feel so deeply appreciative of her. Him, what, what, what was it, he, he landed as a him in the end, or them? Them, anyway. This is what Leslie says. Yet I was so afraid to come out and face the world again. I wondered why I had to choose the opening years of the Reagan administration and the rise of the moral majority to demand the right to be myself. Would they arm villages with torches and stakes and stalk me through the countryside? Would I stand alone handcuffed in a precinct cell with no one to turn to if I survived the nightmare. But then I acknowledged that no matter who had been in the White House, it had always been hard for me. Between a rock and a hard place, something told me this lifetime wasn't going to get any easier. I'd already been through a lot, and it didn't seem to me it could get much worse. Once again, I couldn't see the road ahead. I was still steering my own course through uncharted waters, relying on constellations that weren't fixed. I wished there was someone, somewhere I could ask, what should I do? But no such person existed in the world. I was the only expert on living my own life the only person I could turn to for answers. Mm. Mm. I just feel so inspired, those early trans members of our community and what they went through. I just deeply honor them and, and hope we can follow in their footsteps. And then I want to end with my favorite poet, Joy Harjo, one of my favorite poems that maybe you all have heard so many times you can recite with me by memory. Remember. Remember the sky that you were born under. Know each of the star stories. Remember the moon. Know who she is. I met her in a bar once in Iowa City. Remember the sun's birth at dawn that is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth and how your mother struggled to give you form and breath. You are evidence of her life and her mother's, and hers. Remember your father, his hands cradling your mother's flesh, and maybe her heart too, maybe not. He is your life also. Remember the earth whose skin you are, red earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth, black earth, we are earth. Remember the plants, trees, animal life, who all have their tribes, their families, their histories too. Talk to them. Listen to them. They are alive poems. Remember the wind. Remember her voice. She knows the origin of the universe. I heard her singing Kiowa war dance songs at the corner of fourth and central once. Remember you are all people and that all people are you. Remember that you are this universe and that this universe is you. Remember that all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember that language comes from this. Remember the dance that language is, that life is. Remember to remember. So let's take a moment to sit.